Hello and welcome to Raising the Standard, Traders for a Safer Kent. In this episode, we'll be talking about consumer vulnerability and the role responsible businesses have to play in supporting the most vulnerable members of our community. Most of us probably have preconceived ideas about what a vulnerable consumer looks like, possibly elderly, possibly living on their own, possibly with a long-term health condition. But vulnerability affects everyone, no matter how old they are, and can manifest itself in many situations and circumstances. By doing your bit to look out for vulnerable consumers, and by going the extra mile to make sure they understand the work you're going to do for them and the costs involved, you can make a real difference to their lives. Treating vulnerable consumers with respect and fairness will boost your business's reputation as an asset to the local community. You'll also be joining the fight against the doorstep criminals who blight the lives of vulnerable people. And you'll help create a level playing field, boost consumer confidence and make Kent a better place to live and work. We'll be hearing from consumer protection experts, including a nationally recognised champion of vulnerable consumers and two of Kent County Council's community wardens. First, though, we speak to Elaine Mount, Kent County Council Trading Standards Victim Safeguarding Officer, who tells us about some of the issues she encounters day to day. So I'm Elaine Mount. I'm the Victim Safeguarding Officer for Kent County Council Trading Standards. And my role is to support elderly and vulnerable people who find themselves victims of doorstep crime, scams or fraud. What are some of the factors that can make a consumer vulnerable? I think it could be any number of things, to be fair. And sometimes it's not always obvious things. So I suppose the more obvious things are perhaps people that are have mental health issues or obviously age. It can be somebody that English isn't their first language. It can be somebody that's just quite lonely or is isolated. So, yeah, any, any number of things really can, can be somebody who's vulnerable, someone perhaps with learning difficulties that would make it a bit more difficult for them to understand what's being said etc. Presumably also in, in certain circumstances somebody might be more vulnerable than they would be in others. So for example if they're if they're buying a product that they're unfamiliar with or if they're perhaps going through a particularly difficult time in their life like bereavement yeah, or something exactly. are those factors yeah. that add up to, to vulnerability. Yeah as I say it can it can often be things that you, you know you're obviously just not aware of until perhaps you've spent some time with with the person and then perhaps some more of the vulnerability does come out whilst talking to them yeah quite. Are there any issues in Kent itself which come up around perhaps having an el- a more elderly population in certain parts of the county? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole issue of scams and doorstep crime and fraud is, of course, cu- countrywide. You know, many colleagues in other trading standards areas have exactly the same issues. But I think p- perhaps with Kent, we do have a large population of retired people. and People do retire to Kent, obviously, particularly to be by the sea. So, again, unfortunately, the, the likes of doorstep criminals and, and scammers will target those areas, knowing that there may well be older people there perhaps sadly people with more money. Are you able to talk about any particular cases that you've been involved in perhaps recently where vulnerable consumers have been exploited? Yeah, I mean, sadly, that that unfortunately is is my job. That I do tend to see people that have, have uh, say have been a victim of, of one of the three that I've mentioned. To give you an example, perhaps if I sort of give you a, a few there that that to see the sort of thing that I that I deal with. I mean, most recently I had um, an elderly gentleman actually again who English wasn't his first language. He had been cold called by some doorstep criminals who had convinced him that some work needed to be doing on his roof. The thing with roofs is, and, and old people, it, it's, a, it's a good combination for the doorstep criminal because obviously 
oh, I mean, I don't go on my roof, let alone an, an older person goes on the roof to, to inspect it. So um, very often with the, the criminals, they will play on this and they will very often uh, go up on the roof and come down and, and find things that are supposedly wrong sometimes showing you a photograph of a rotting wood, which is not your roof, but some somebody else's. And this is all part of the fraud. This is all part of the way in which they, they try and get money. And this is what happened with this gentleman. They'd convinced him that there were some issues with his roof, said that it was not a problem, they could fix it. I believe they quoted him around about £1,500. Um, and of course, sure enough, once they were up on the roof, this is always quite often the case when it's an inn, and then when they're on the roof, they then find again find a whole load of things wrong so the price then starts to increase and sadly with this gentleman it had increased up to about £20,000 um, which in actual fact he could have had a, a brand new roof probably twice over for, for the price he paid and this is where as I say that the, 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 I then obviously try and come in to, to assist and to help and to obviously stop them being a repeat victim so similarly type of thing with uh, with scams unfortunately again we see a lot of problems with scams particularly we've had that through Covid but again thinking about it I, I had a, a lady who'd um, been called supposedly by somebody from the police saying that there'd been an issue with her bank account and her bank had been and her account had been compromised and suggested that she needed to go into the bank and withdraw some money and the way in which this was sort of sold to her was almost in a way that it was making her think that somehow she was helping the police with the with their inquiries and by following their instructions this was all going to help them uh, to get to the bottom of what had gone on in the bank and she did actually go to the bank and withdraw the money and as soon as she came back this person was back on the phone again supposedly asking her to check the, the banknote numbers again to make it all seem quite plausible um, and then of course came the point where they wanted her to send this money to them but thankfully in this case the lady did at that point become suspicious and actually went to her local police station so was able to give them some information and the address that she was meant to send it to them so again I was out giving her some support and advice on on the whole issue around scams. Did you see a, an increase in certain types of scam during COVID when people were, were isolated? Yes, I mean, everything from being called to being told that you could, ha you, if you were older, you could have some special gloves and a special mask that would prevent you from, from getting COVID to paying for COVID passes to people coming around to saying that they've been sent by the NHS to uh, offer you tests and, and if you paid for these tests, they could get the results quicker. I mean, anything and everything really. And, and as always with the case is the bottom line, always with any scam, or any doorstep crime is money that's that's all they're ever, ever after is money nothing more than that and so that's that's always their their aim for legitimate businesses for for, for conscientious businesses and, and specifically businesses who are members of the the ts check scheme what role do you think they have to play in helping to keep an eye out for rogue traders and alerting the authorities when they when they see them if, if say they visit a property and there's signs that work has been carried out or is being carried out by potentially a rogue trader and what do you think their responsibilities are when it comes to looking out for particularly vulnerable consumers I think there's sort of two strands to that really if if you're going obviously as the the, the trade director or trader's going to see someone and you're being you know going to someone's house and you're they're elderly or vulnerable I think there's a number of things really you can think about doing and what the first and foremost I would say is to allow plenty of time so that you can make sure that you know you're explaining it quite thoroughly to the person what we also advise to other businesses when they're going out to visit people in their homes is to think about perhaps the person having somebody else with them so maybe a family member or a friend that's present so that can sort of work both ways it, it helps obviously for the trader so that 
everything that's said, it's, you know, being understand and there's no sort of misunderstandings. And also, as I say, it, it helps the consumer. Obviously, as I say, if they're not sure or, or don't understand, then they've got a family member or friend there. So that's quite important. And things like your contracts, making sure they're quite clear, certainly quotes. So I can't really emphasise enough to make sure that in, anything you're putting in quote to somebody that's perhaps a bit more vulnerable is, again, to make it very clear exactly what you are going to do and probably just as importantly, what you're not going to do. Um, because sometimes that can cause confusion as well somebody thought that was all included in the price and it wasn't so again making it clearer things like making it in a larger font obviously would would help as well or and also perhaps would mention a time if you're going to give somebody a time that you're going to do it and for some reason you're not able to meet that deadline then again it's really important to sort of let them know because I think again when you're vulnerable and you get a little bit stressed about someone coming to do work in your home anyway just little things like that can can really help to to make it a, a lot easier and on the second point when you were saying about if they you know go to somebody's house they've got any concerns absolutely we would very much like to hear from anybody um, who wants to report to us any concerns so either if they've got details of somebody that's been at the house doing the work and they've got concerns about they they can of course um, either phone the uh, citizens advice consumer service the number is 0808 223 1133 or you can go onto the trading standards website and if you go on there it says about how you can report to us and there's actually just an online form you can fill in and again if you want to do that so that it's anonymously or, or in, obviously in, in confidence then we would encourage traders to absolutely to to report any concerns they have about doorstep criminal type traders and report that to us yes most definitely and similarly i would say as well if you've got any concerns about the person then yes of course there's however you want to do it but it's just really important to to, to report it so either to social services if you're concerned about the person and um, as I say or depending on obviously what the concern is you, you can call the police. To get an expert view on consumer vulnerability we spoke with Louise Baxter. Louise is head of the National Trading Standards Scams Team and runs the Friends Against Scams initiative which exists to prevent people from becoming victims of scams by promoting awareness and consumer education. She started off by describing what the term consumer vulnerability means to her and explains the importance of developing services that factor in consumer vulnerability from the ground up. I think you've got sort of two broad brush areas of consumer vulnerability. One is around situational vulnerability. So your situation or your circumstance can cause you to be vulnerable in that particular situation and it's fluid and flexible. So for example, bereavement, loss of employment, divorce, changing relationship status, health conditions, something like that can cause situational vulnerability. And then you've got marketplace vulnerability, which is that the consumer is trying to access a market that makes them potentially vulnerable. So their their first time to that market, it's a new market. Uh, the information is complex or the way that we have to access that information is narrow. So you can then have that marketplace vulnerability as well. When it comes to situational vulnerability, do you think having a trader go into your home creates a certain vulnerability? With consumer vulnerability, so if all of those situations potentially could cause you to be vulnerable, doesn't necessarily mean that you are. So we've always got to sort of try and keep an open mind about it. It's, it's, it's subjective and we have to judge each each situation, each person or, on on its merits and try and assess it at that time. But if you are solely relying on a particular person, like a particular trader, to do something for you, you're relying on them to a, tell you the truth, to provide you with the information that you need to be able to make a wise decision, to be able to use clear language as well, so plain language that you can understand 
understand and check your understanding of the decision that you've made. So the way that I always think about consumer vulnerability is if I were to ask you a question, say you're buying an electric car for me or you're having solar panels fitted or you're uh, literally something even more simple than that, you've got a handyman coming in to fix your cupboards within your house and a trader's coming into your house. Is if 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 it's a case of I go to right, I'm I'm a hundred pounds an hour, the job's gonna take me five hours, so that's five hundred pounds plus the VAT I'm gonna charge you, and I'm going to do X, X, and X. I would always then go back to you and say, Right, can you just explain to me what you've agreed to? And then not try and ask you to use your own words because then it's also you get a gauge of whether somebody's understood what they're doing, what the decision that they've made. If they don't come back and if it's just a parrot, so they just repeat what you've said, I would try asking the question differently. It's also about trying sometimes to give people, I speak very quickly, I don't always give enough people, I don't give people enough time to think. So I think it's about allowing that space and time for people to make decisions and think about the decisions as well and provide it in different communication formats. If a trader goes into someone's home and they feel that somebody is in a position where they're not capable of making a, a decision there and then on the spot, or maybe the trader feels like that person could do with a, a family member, for example, being being present, what would be your advice in that situation? When, when we talk about consumer vulnerability, an easier way to flip it on its head is to provide an inclusive service. So design your service or your product for the most vulnerable people. If you design it for the, or the most, so for example, like the drop curb, that's designed for people with a disability and potential wheelchair access. But actually, it's benefited people who use pushchairs, delivery men, people with visual impairments who need to get up and down curbs. So actually, you've designed it for somebody that's potentially situationally vulnerable. And actually, now it's something that's benefiting everybody. Um so I think it's again back to communication. We have to ensure that people get the right information that they need. So if it's about, if you think somebody doesn't understand, ask them if they've got somebody that can sit with them or would they prefer information written down so they've got time to reflect on it, show it to somebody else. And there's really simple things to do, things like bigger font. Like I can't read very small font anymore. My eyesight is not particularly good. Lots more white space spacing between the lines if people are expected to read things and provide an expectation of how long it should take to read because we get in a rush and we get all flustered because we think that we're keeping holding people up holding people up which increases that vulnerable vulnerable state so you want people to be able to make wise decisions so if that is do you want a friend with you do you need more time to think about it do you need it written down do you need it emailed do you need a fixed appointment with me actually where I'll come and talk you through it and you can have someone present if you want to there's lots of ways around it to ensure that the decision that the person is making is the right decision for them and aside from the ethical aspects of this, it makes good business sense to make sure that you've got everything in writing before you start any work. You're, you're confident that the consumer understands what they're getting and there's as little room as possible for complaints or for complications down the line. It's also the right thing to do if you think about the current situation that we're in at the moment. It minimises the complaints, it enhances your reputation, it's the right thing to do. Also, you could have arguments that there was no capacity to contract from those particular people or that actually the contract wasn't what was agreed, so then you've got that argument around that and a dispute system, which takes more resource, more time, more stress, which people don't want. With the current world that we're in, situational vulnerability... It has increased cost of living, mental health, social isolation, post-pandemic, the war, all of the things that are occurring all of the time. Inflation, all of those things are situational things that are adding to consumer vulnerability. So therefore, more people are likely to be suffering with it or experiencing consumer vulnerability. And then the marketplace stuff, like we said, 88, something, I think the stat was something like 88,000 websites sprung up in the first month of lockdown. These are new businesses again. So, And we've expected people to go from bricks to clicks and, and access the internet and access the information they need. We've 
no training on how to do that, how to do that safely. What is the right information for me at this particular time? So we are going to see a hike in it. I do a lot of work with businesses around this stuff. And actually, if you go, you need to identify every consumer vulnerability. And it's like you can't expect people to do that. That's not it's not rational or reasonable to do that. So if you just flip it on its head and just like just ensure that the person that you're talking to understands the word that you're using, strip it back to basics, plain English, slow it down, ask them to repeat the decisions that they're making and explain the decisions they're making, document it. If you identify any consumer vulnerabilities or, for example, if you're a company and you know that this person would prefer communication and email, write that down so that all your colleagues know that that person wants that in that communication and email. Obviously, don't if you're recording people's potential health conditions, there are GDPR and data protection issues around that. And also involving that consumer. So your consumers and your customers are your experts by experience. Well, what could I do differently? Review your complaints. There, have you got a trend of complaints about, say, for example, have you got an organisational blind spot around people that have recently suffered bereavement, for example? So it's around reflecting on your services all of the time and actually going, right, what could we do differently here? So a lot of it's really simple. It's like, what do you need from from a what do you need from me? How do you need me to talk to you? How do you need me to communicate with you? Ask ask your customers rather than making assumptions, especially when it comes to age related vulnerability. There's a lot of assumptions that older people are vulnerable, and that is not that's strictly not true. Age can be a, a situational factor, but it's not not all old people are vulnerable. Next, we spoke with Jackie Swan and Roger Lithgow two of Kent County Council's community wardens. As people who spend their working lives helping to safeguard vulnerable people, Jackie and Roger have a unique insight into the issues that can arise when traders go into the homes of vulnerable consumers, and they have practical advice on some of the things to bear in mind. Roger started by describing some of the issues that he frequently comes across when out in the field. I would say we come across things like cold callers or we'll get phone calls in from residents really worried about cold callers in the area and sometimes they can be quite intimidating as well and we find especially the elderly residents will actually pay for something or buy something that is of extremely poor quality and they possibly don't realise that it's of poor quality and they could be spending 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds on something that just isn't worth that amount of money. So that's an issue but what we will do is we, if we're in the area we're able to we'll actually try and attend and see whether we can potentially stop the person from actually doing that sort of work in the area and move on we also encourage the local residents to actually have stickers up saying no call calling other vulnerabilities is just scams from bogus builders really or builders that really aren't shouldn't be builders because of the core quality we have to deal with a lot of those as well we're actually going out and speaking to people. I think it's quite handy with my background because my background is ex-double glazing, so I've done everything, making it, to fitting it, to selling it, and also my background is kept police, so where we've actually dealt with quite a few of those sort of issues as well in various forms. So the experience is very handy, but yes, bogus builders is another big issue, especially when they go put a bit of concrete in the guttering and say, oh yeah, that's come off your house, you need to have your whole roof replaced. So it's, it's very worrying, actually. Do you find that sometimes people can be reluctant to come forward if they feel that they have been scammed, maybe because they feel embarrassed or maybe because there's some some kind of stigma attached to being a victim of of, of, a, of a cold caller or, or a scammer? Absolutely. The amount of times that we've done scams talks in sort of community groups and, you know, 
it's only when we say who's been a victim of a scam and we put our own hands up that all of a sudden people start realising that scams can be, you know, can happen to anybody. There is no age, there is no demographic, it's everybody. And when you're talking to these community groups, all of a sudden you start finding out a little bit more about what is around, you know, a lot of people getting telephone calls, a lot of people getting postal scams, those sorts of things that will come through the door, you know, promising the world and it's it's basically just educating people about what they can do you know if they get a scam text what to do and how to report those sorts of things we've had recently in my area we've had somebody who was almost bombarding people to make a donation to a charity and again that had to be addressed unfortunately we work very closely with banks as well and we were able to contact the bank and speak to them and let them know that there was this the, the case with one particular person but there were likely to be others as well involved and they were then able to deal with that as well our warden role is quite extensive and our knowledge our local knowledge helps when dealing with these things the audience for this podcast is, is members of the ts check scheme so they're, they're businesses themselves who are going into people's homes when it comes to keeping an eye out for potentially vulnerable members of the community when they go into someone's house what would what would you say would be the kind of things for them to keep an eye out for first thing to i would sort of recommend to any sort of um business is to maybe have a look, have a sort of brief look around where they're being shown in the property. If there's lots of scamming style leaflets coming through, if there's a, a quite a job lot of that sort of thing, it's likely that that person has responded to one of them and has now been bombarded. So bear that in mind, absolutely. That's one of the first things that I would say if you see lots of that. Please bear that in mind. If a resident is saying to you that they they give regularly to this charity and this charity and this charity and this charity, again, that's a flag. So you'd be saying to them, you know, and how do you do this? And, you know, just asking a few sort of questions. I would say if a trader has got any concerns at all, they should be immediately referring to either trading standards themselves or to a community warden, one of the local community wardens in the area. Community wardens can go in and do an assessment of their own and they can make referrals should that be the case. If they've gone into a home where they don't feel that the person there has full capacity, again, what I would suggest that they do is ask them if there is somebody else within the family that can be there say that it's for um, the residents safeguarding so that they you know they can have a family member or a friend close by so that when they're discussing things if they can't remember it or they want a recollection of what's happened they can talk about it after and leave information with the resident to discuss with other family members actually encourage that rather than doing the sort of pressure sales because in our scams talk one of the first things we say to people is if you feel pressured to it to do anything don't and what about say a trader goes into someone's house and they see signs of work being done or having been done by somebody else which raises alarm bells so for example if someone goes in to repair a boiler and there's somebody doing roofing work and there's something that seems off about it what would be your advice to the trader in that situation if there's concerns, then absolutely go trading standards and ask them to check it out and assess it. I would also, before you do any of that, you have to get permission from the resident. You know, it's all about making sure that they're 
the ones making decisions as well and that you're doing it alongside them because decisions have to be made by people with capacity. You can't make decisions for them. If you're concerned, you can report it as a concern, but you can't take the control of that situation out of that resident's hands. They must be aware of everything that you're doing, you know. Talk it through with the resident, say to them, you know, express your concerns, what you're concerned about. Ask them if they agree that it's okay for you to refer it on because of the concerns that you've expressed and make it very clear why you have those concerns. You've mentioned getting in touch, contacting community wardens. How can traders do that? All you can do is just go online and type in Kent Community Wardens and you should see the link that will bring you up onto the main webpage for the Community Warden Service. Halfway down you've got a list of areas and from there the top page will have the team leaders details which would be an option to contact them or the actual area that the Community Warden is nearest to you. Because there's a possibility that the Community Wardens may have an area, they might be covering that area even though they're not actually listed as that area. So it's always worth bringing the um, nearest Community Warden to you just by the details that you find on the internet. To wrap things up, Elaine tells us how legitimate traders, including Trading Standards Checked Scheme members, have come to the aid of vulnerable consumers and have given their business's reputation a boost in the process. Have you come across any examples of good, conscientious businesses, traders, perhaps going above and beyond to support vulnerable consumers? Very much so. I mean, I've been doing this this job many, many years, and obviously, majority of businesses and traders that that we see in Kent are all, you know, reputable, good, honest, hardworking people. Unfortunately, it's just the the minority that that you know that we have to deal with. But yeah, I, I very often, um, particularly in cases of doorstep crime, where I've gone to visit somebody, talking as I was earlier about the person with the roof. In actual fact. That there, they had left the roof exposed, so it was easy for, for rain and that to get in. So again, I called somebody from the Trading Standards Check Scheme, and they kindly came straight out and um, you know made the roof at least watertight. Yeah, most definitely, I've had many many times where I called on people, and they've they've been more than happy to help, as I think most people would be in, in those sort of situations. And any any reputable trader is going to be more than happy to to help when they can. In addition to the human decency element, which you mm. would hope anybody would would see the the, the benefit of there are distinct benefits from a business point of view of doing the right thing in these situations in terms of your reputation but also in, in keeping rogues out of the market i think for businesses as i say to, offering to help and, and then going out and, and giving assistance to someone particularly again as i say with older people and and more vulnerable people sometimes the whole issue is that they you know that they don't know anybody they haven't, don't know any traders which is why perhaps they've ended up using someone that's just cold called them out of the blue so again obviously having somebody that comes around that puts them at their ease sorts out the problem for them and somebody that they know they can trust is somebody they're going to continue to use that's just just makes sense so from just that little bit of extra help and perhaps going that little extra mile hopefully then it results in in further business and of course what you always do when you've been treated well is you tell other people so um, yeah by, by doing that then of course to a business you're, you're going to only increase you know the business that you get aren't you and what about to the second point of, of keeping rogues out of the, the marketplace who are obviously undercutting you potentially in prices yeah. Yeah. But because they're not doing the job or, or they've got another agenda? I think that's I think 
but from what you're saying there, going back perhaps to the, the point you were making earlier as well, is about that it all being a level playing field. And the most important thing is that if you see something where it's you know it's not right and you know that they're, they're not doing the job as they should do, is really to report it. Because again, from training standard side of things, if it's not reported to us, we don't know what we don't know. So that's why it's crucial that you know you give us the information. We work very similarly to the police. We have an intelligence unit whereby obviously all the information that we receive goes in there and then we will look the the my colleagues in the intelligence unit will look then the scale of the problem and um, yeah and of course if we start to be sort of bombarded by complaints about a particular business then yes of course that's something that we would start to look into so that's why it is really important to, to do that you know and that way we hopefully get to you know, investigate and, and um, be rid of these these uh, criminals finally then but are there any other resources that you could recommend to traders which might be useful in terms of practical advice around some of the things you've mentioned contracts etc i mean there's again it depends on on i know again when i've advised um, businesses there is things like friends against dementia um that's a very useful uh, site if you go on to to the to websites it gives you all the information um, and it's free so you can do get staff members or yourself just to do a short training um, session and it obviously gives you help and advice on working with people that have dementia so that's 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 quite a useful site that's it for this episode. We hope it's given you some useful information and ideas about what your business can do to help support vulnerable consumers. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and colleagues. Visit the website at tschecked.kent.gov.uk for more episodes in the Raising the Standard Traders for a Safer Kent series, as well as videos and learning resources. And do get in touch at tschecked.kent.gov.uk gov.uk to share your ideas, thoughts and experiences. This resource is co-financed by the European Regional Development Fund. Thank you for listening. Thank you.